The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. So today, we're going to kind of step out of the narrative. Obviously, Rob stepped out of, you know, where we left things off in the story. David had just cut off Goliath's head. Remember, that was last night. And then we kind of stepped out of that to talk about what Rob was talking about this morning. Now, we'll kind of stay out of kind of the flow of the story um, for, uh, you know, this morning we talked about joy, you know, David finding joy, and we're going to stay out of the flow kind of for a couple of random stories with David just to focus on biblical manhood. So we're going to be talking actually about Saul for a while this morning, and then tonight uh, Rob's going to tell a story from David and his kinghood later on. Uh, so, and then tomorrow morning, we're going to step right back into the story where we left off, which is right after he cuts off Goliath's head. But these are some important, um, and these are some important stories to highlight, especially since today we get to focus on what does it look like to be a godly man. It's such a priority for us, man. We, we separate the guys and girls pretty much all day today just to focus on that. Just what does it look like to be a godly man? And so this is, these are things in your share groups that, uh, that, man, we encourage you guys to talk about. So what I want to do, uh, you don't have to turn here in your Bible. I'm going to jump around a good bit, but we're going to be in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 9. Um, and so I'm Spencer, by the way, different guy than just got done preaching. That was Rob. That guy's my dad. So, so keep it straight. <laughs> just kidding. All right. So, uh, so yeah, so. Basically, 1 Samuel 9, what I want to look at is, all right, so Saul's the first king of Israel, right? He's, where did things go so wrong for Saul? Because we're going to see him kind of degenerate into just craziness. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to be speaking, and it's, it's these crazy stories where Saul is just trying to kill David, I mean, by all means possible. And so where did things go wrong? Because like the Lord anointed Saul, how did things go so wrong for him? That's what I want to look at, and what's the difference really between Saul and David? So 1 Samuel 9. In 1 Samuel 9, Samuel, the prophet, is told to anoint the first king of Israel. And so he's told to go to such and such a place and look for this guy whose name is Kish. So I'm going to pick it up in 1 Samuel 9, uh, verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. He was the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bacor, son of Aphia, a Benjaminite. And then it tells us what Kish was like. It says, Kish was a man of wealth. So Kish is really rich. Verse 2, and Kish had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. So he's not just saying, hey, this is a good-looking guy. He's saying, a handsome man. No, I'm saying, the most handsome man in the land. Must be nice. Man's rich, the most handsome man in the, world, in the, in the land, it says, and from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. That means the next tallest guy came up to about here on this most handsome man in the land who is also, by the by, really, really rich. So Saul, to outward appearance, man, he's, man, he's got a lot going for him. He's got a head start as far as the kingship goes. All right, and so Samuel, it's a weird story. Basically, Saul is tending his dad's donkeys, which is a weird thing to do. You think about sheep, but he's tending his dad's donkeys, and they lost them. And so Saul's this young man. He's lost his dad's donkeys. He's like, shoot, man, where are we supposed to go? Where are these donkeys at? And they're like, oh, wait, there's a prophet in the next town. 
We can go ask him and he can like look in his crystal ball, like ask God, I don't know what they do. We can just go over there and like find out where the donkeys are. And so Saul goes into to the prophet, to Samuel and says, hey man, do you know where my, and it's like Samuel cuts him off. He's like, donkeys are, don't worry about it. They went home. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. And then Samuel says, by the way, you are the next king of Israel. In fact, you're the first king of Israel. And he anoints him king right there. And it's like, wait, what? I mean, it all happened so, so quickly. And so because it's such an unusual circumstance, basically Samuel says to Saul, yes, you're going to be king over all this land. And here's how you're going to know that God set you king. When you walk out this door, you're going to run into, and then he gives him this long list, really specific. Like stuff like you're going to run into three guys and the one guy's going to be carrying bread and the other guy's going to be carrying this. They're going to say this to you. Then after that, you're going to bump into a guy. I mean, it's like very, very specific. A guy wearing this color shirt and he's going to say this to you and then you're going to go here. So it's like all this proof. So basically Saul walks out the door and he's like, hey, three guys and the guy's got bread. And he walks about, hey, the guy in the yellow shirt. And then everything happens just as he said. Now, basically what happens when Samuel anoints him with oils. He gives him his first instruction as king. And he says this, meet me in seven days at a town called Gilgal. Meet me in seven days at Gilgal. Don't do anything until you hear from me there. I want you to meet me in seven days at Gilgal. I'm going to offer a sacrifice and then we're going to get after it. Now, he doesn't tell him what's going to happen all this week. He just says, meet me in seven days at Gilgal. All right, that's the only instruction for this king. So in the meantime, in that seven days, now there's a lot of discrepancy on like how much time has passed because it seems like a lot's happened, all this. But basically what happens is Saul's son, Jonathan, who we'll hear more about, he is the man. Jonathan is the man. Like he is the killer of the Philistines. He and another guy go over and basically destroy a lot of the Philistines almost single-handedly. And so the Philistines are mad. And basically, it's like he kicked a hornet's nest. And so Saul gets to Gilgal, and he's like, all right, we're going to wait for the prophet. And all of a sudden, it's like, the Philistines come back to get, get back at Jonathan. And it says that they bring 30,000 chariots. They bring 6,000 men on horseback. And they bring so many troops that you can't count them. It's like the sand at the beach. Uh, I think it says, yeah, the sand on the shore. Saul is in Gilgal, and he has 3,000 guys with him. That's it. So 3,000 against, who knows, hundreds of thousands of guys that are just closing in, and they're about to go to battle. All right, to make the situation worse, these 3,000 men just start running. They start taking off. And Saul's force starts going, shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. To make matters worse, none of these guys are real soldiers. None of them have weapons at all. There's only two swords in all the land. One of them Saul has and one of them Jonathan has. That is it. And so the situation's really desperate. The 3,000 men, as the soldiers, as they close in on Saul, Saul's like, oh my gosh, we're, we're about to get our butts kicked. We have got to sacrifice to the Lord, but I got to wait on Samuel. He told me to wait on him at Gilgal. Don't do anything until, until I come and do this sacrifice. He's like, oh, my gosh. Well, the 3,000 men that are with Saul, they dwindle down to 600 guys. And he's finally like, yeah, we got to do this. we got to do this now. We're going to get overrun. I'm just going to, you know what? Samuel said wait for seven days. And it's the seventh day, but he's not showing up. And he's like, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to make a sacrifice myself, and we're going to go. So he makes his sacrifice himself. 
and they're getting ready to go, and who shows up? Samuel. And he's like, you're a fool. The only, you had one job. The only instruction I gave you was wait right here. I'm going to sacrifice. Now, he didn't tell him all the stuff that was going to go on in the meantime. He just told him, be faithful. Listen to what Samuel says to, to Saul, the king. You have done, this is chapter 13. You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which, with which he commanded you. Because then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now, your kingdom will not continue. That's, that's a crazy turnaround. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over the people because you haven't kept what the Lord commanded you. All right, you see the key there? Y'all heard that phrase before, a man after God's own heart? Yeah, we hear that a lot about David. The Lord sought out a man after God's own heart. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? You can think about it. There's a lot of, you know, think like God thinks, value what he values. But here, what does he seem to say? The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Why? Because Saul didn't obey. So part of what it means to be a man after God's own heart is to obey. It's linked to obedience, to doing what we need to do, to obeying God. I think the story of Saul and David, they teach us that obedience won't always be easy, but it is crucial. It is crucial to be a man after God's own heart. Obedience is crucial. Now, in Saul's situation, obedience seemed impossible, but it's always possible. Even for us, 1 Corinthians 10 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he won't let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Obedience is always possible. See, Saul, he did what any reasonable guy would have done in that situation. Hey, things are bleak. We need to seek the Lord. Let's just do this. It doesn't look like Samuel's coming. But Israel didn't need a reasonable man in this situation. Israel needed an obedient man. Obedience matters more than external appearances of manhood, right? Saul seemed like the right dude on the outside, but obedience matters more than height. Obedience matters more than strength, ask Samson. Obedience matters more than Bible knowledge, ask the Pharisees. What separates David and Saul? Well, the Spirit of God left Saul and was on David, but one of the big separators is obedience. See, David wasn't successful primarily because he was courageous. David wasn't successful because he was bold. David was successful because he obeyed God. Why did David obey God? Because he trusted him. When situations seem impossible, when, when he's up against a giant or a huge army or everybody's trying to chase him, he trusted God. Why did David trust God? Think about it. David obeyed God. Why? Because he trusted him. Why? Because he spent time with him. He knew him. See what I'm saying? It's like a formula in the scripture. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more you trust him, the more you obey him. Spending is a pattern. Time with the Lord produces obedience. Or to say it another way, the more we spend time with Jesus, the more we act like Jesus. It is a pattern you see over and over and over with all these, man, I mean like 
even military leaders in the scripture. Y'all remember Joshua? Remember that guy? He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And basically, Joshua took over when Moses died, and God gives him a speech. And Joshua is a straight-up military leader. He's going to pull the sword and go against 31 kings in the new land. And he gives him a speech. And I want you to listen to what it's all centered around. Be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you might have good success wherever you go. Pause. What's the key to good success? Not turning from the word. Be careful to obey the word. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it, think on it, chew on it, meditate on it day and night, so that you might be careful to do according to all that's written in it. Then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. What is he saying? His instructions to all of his leaders are wrapped up in the word. You think about, he says, Joshua, you're about to go to battle? Obey the word. And he repeats it. Obey the word. Speak the word. Meditate on it. And he says, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do it. Obedience, meditation leads to obedience. Meditation leads to obedience. If God values the word this much, so should we. If God values obedience this much, so should we. You see this pattern over and over and over for godly men in the scripture. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more you act like Jesus. This is the formula for leaders and kings and warriors in the scripture. Spend time with the Lord and you act like the Lord. You, you start to obey like the Lord. David followed this pattern in a very different situation than Joshua. Now, pause. We hear these stories about David. Man, I don't know about y'all. That video that we watch. It's awesome. It's so good. Like, and that sermon last night that Brody preached on David and Goliath, that's my favorite sermon of the whole week. And it's just like when he's preaching that sermon and David tells the king, hey, man, it's all right. Don't be scared. I'm like, oh. And then he goes out and like says, no, nah, I'm going to feed y'all's bodies to the birds. And it's just like, I mean, you're ready to I mean, you come unglued. That's how you're supposed to feel when you read these stories. When we read the Bible stories, you're supposed to see characters that you want to be like and ones that you want to avoid. That's what the Saul and David scenario is here for, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hear these stories, them having courage and fighting battles and fighting giants and be like, whoo, that that's an inspirational. Here's the question to y'all. You're in eighth grade. You're in 11th grade. It's 2022. Ain't nobody pulling no swords and fighting no giants. What are you supposed to do with this? How are you supposed to be a godly man? How are you supposed to walk this out today, man? You can't, you're in a different time period than David. You can't emulate his physical battles, but you can emulate his heart of obedience, which starts by emulating his hours in the word. See what I'm saying? I'm saying obedience matters. But what I'm not telling you is just like, do better. Hey, y'all need to do better. That's not what I'm saying. You can't will yourself to obedience. Right now, my wife is sick as a dog. She's in bed at the house. And last night, I, this illustration just popped in my head. Uh, last night, you know, she's been sick for like two or three days. And so I've been kind of like doing the camp thing and shuttling kids all over the place and taking care of the dogs. And so last night, I just walked in the room. I was just messing around with her. I was like, hey get better now. And I was just playing around with it. And uh, she was like, I can't, I can't. 
Because you can't will yourself to get better. You can't will yourself to, like, oh, get better? Okay, hang on. Mm, oh, there we go. You know, it's got to be something that happens on the inside. You know what I mean? So she's taking antibiotics right now. Those got to go in and do whatever it is that they do and go to whatever sickness it is. And it's like, that'll start happening on the inside, and it's going to work its way out, and then she'll feel better. But she can't force her. She can't will herself to do better. So I'm saying, you can't, I can't just stand up here and be like, hey, obey. You can't just force yourself to be like, I'm going to obey. It's got to be a work of the Spirit on the inside. It's got to be you take in the Word, you nourish, you feed yourself on the Word, and the Lord does the work on the inside where He changes your desires, and then He works it out through your choices where you do say, all right, I'm going to obey. I'm going to do this. I I think it's important just to pause for a second and say, for for years, and rightly so, we've preached against the idea that your performance determines your standing with God. As in, like, if you act right, then God will accept you and you're good. If you just do good, you are good and God will accept you. That is false, right? None of us are good. We've avoided that ditch so hard, though, that I think that we don't call the church, we don't call men in the church to obedience enough. We're like, oh, man, you know what? God loves you. He's going to forgive you no matter what. So it doesn't really matter what you do. That's another ditch on the other side of the road to avoid. Holiness is not a bad word. It springs from our identity in Christ and our ongoing pursuit of him. Holiness sometimes is a choice in the moment, but more often it's a pattern. It's a, it's a network of godly habits that you set in place. You're declared holy because of what Christ has done. And then out of that identity, he says, walk it out. If you love me, you'll obey. Obedience matters, men, not just for you. I don't care if you're in 8th grade, you're in 11th grade. Obedience matters because of your future daughters, your future wife, your future church. It matters right now for your relationship with Christ. Your time in history is going to be different than David and Joshua, but the calling is the same. Godly manhood calls out to you. Man, because somebody's going to call you pastor one day. Some of you men. Someone's going to call you father. Someone's going to call you boss. You are the future leaders of the church and of our society. Obedience matters. Godly manhood is wrapped up in spending time with Jesus in a transformative way. It's going to change who you are. And then taking that transformation and actually being the light in a dark culture. That's what the Bible calls us, sons of light. I love that title, sons of light. Let me finish with just a couple practical thoughts. Oh, yeah, we're doing good. All right, let me finish a couple practical thoughts. All right, Brody mentioned these verses the other night, uh, but I want to go to 1 Timothy 4 to just give a couple practical thoughts on how do you walk this out in obedience, all right? 1 Timothy chapter 4, there's an older guy, Paul, giving instructions to a younger guy, Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself. Train yourself. It's the word we get gymnasium from. Train, work out, train yourself for godliness. Because we normally think of training as in our bodies. And he says, because bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way. Because it holds promise for this life and the one to come. Right before this verse, he's talking to Timothy about the word. And he says, nourish yourself in the word. 
nourish. It's the same kind of train, nourish. But what he's, what he's doing is, this is the same pattern that David and Joshua saw. Nourish yourself in the word, feed on the word, and then act it out. Feed on the word, it's going to change you on the inside. Nourish yourself in the word, train yourself for godliness. And then verse 12, 1 Timothy 4 says this, then act it out. Let nobody despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now he's saying this to Timothy, but it also echoes for all of us. Think about David in the story last night. He's being made fun of because of how young he is. And here we're seeing the same themes echo where he's like, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Don't let them look down on you just because of your age. Set an example for the believers, as in let them look up to you. It doesn't matter if you're in 10th grade. Let the church aspire to your obedience, to your faithfulness in the Scripture. Don't let anybody despise, look down on you because you're young. Let them look up to you. Set an example. What's the, what's the example? We're to act like Jesus. Here's the goal. The goal is to have spent so much time in the Word that your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, and your purity no longer look like you. They look like Jesus. That you no longer look like you. You look like Jesus. Set an example in speech. How did Jesus speak? Here, here's what it's saying. Don't let anybody look down for you for your youth. Set an example in conduct, love, faith, and purity. I'm sorry, speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. How did Jesus speak? Set an example in speech. He didn't speak in gossip or negativity or tearing down or nasty, perverted talk. He spoke words of purity and life, words that build up, words of truth and wisdom. Man, if you establish yourself as a young man who doesn't speak lies, who doesn't speak nasty, but actually speaks the truth and builds up and speaks grace and gives thanks, man, you're going to stand out in your generation. You're going to be a man that everybody looks up to no matter your age if you set an example in speech. The second one, set an example in conduct. How did Jesus act? Perfect. All right? Good luck. <laughs> like, you're not going to live up to that, right? There's only one perfect man in history, and it's not us. It's not you. It's Jesus, right? And so set an example, though, in conduct. How did Jesus conduct himself in love, in honor, in courage, in purity? Man, he's talking about the way you act day by day. How do you conduct yourself on your basketball team? How do you conduct yourself at camp, outside of camp, on your phone? How do you conduct yourself on the day-to-day, man? The way you conduct yourself should be different because of the hope that's inside of you. I'm not saying act like a caricature of manliness. Saul, to the outward appearance, was a man. I'm saying act like Christ, the source of manliness. He goes on and says, this example you set should be in love and faith and purity. Yeah, this has to do with avoiding sin, but it also has to do with taking the light into the dark. I mean, I think so many young men are drowning in nothingness. True. So many young men are just drowning in nothingness. Just swipe, 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 swipe. And even if they're not addicted to their phones, what are they doing? And I'm not just talking about teenagers. I'm talking about... 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds. What the heck are we doing? Set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Push back the darkness. Here's the thing. We all want to be like David. We want to have this moment. 
We always ask ourselves, do I have the courage in that moment to stand up? Uh, we want to be like David. We see these stories. But before he was with Goliath, he was setting an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. You know what I'm saying? We'd never see David with the slingshot if we didn't see him in the word. He, he wouldn't have been obedient in front of armies if he wasn't writing psalms in the dark. Obedience begins in the word, men. Do you read it? Do you study it? For real. Not just do you go to church. I'm asking, do you feed on it? Do you train? Do you work out or are you soft? Obedience begins in the word, but it doesn't stop there. You actually have to obey the verses that you heard. Remember the Pharisees, they had a ton memorized, but few that had locked in obedience. Obey the word. Let me ask you, what's the gap between who you want to be, the man you want to be, and what you're currently doing? Ask yourself, who, what kind of man do I want to be? And is what I'm doing right now going to get me there? For most of us, that gap is time with Jesus. For most of us, it's we don't wake up early, we don't stay up late, we don't designate a time to sit and open the word. Before we can be obedient, that medicine has to go inside and change us from the inside. We can't just will ourselves and be like, gum, I'm going to obey. you got to be transformed on the inside. It's a pattern in the scripture. You want to be a godly man, be a man of the word. And let that time in the word translate to obedience. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.